2: What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, El Conservador, Richie B, Mr. Call Screener, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 blocks away from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And we're going to talk about the fatalities, of course, those that have fallen, who got fired and for what, and free speech. One of the things that I want to get into is the fallen, the fatalities that we had in Afghanistan. But I also want to talk about somebody that got fired for standing up what they believe in and free speech issues. So we're going to get to all of that stuff. But I want to start with the slain Marines mom, because obviously she's upset and she's upset over the death of her son. And we're going to jump right into that. But Biden is fighting back right he blasted a golf cart claiming to have carried an ISIS planner uh related to that suicide bombing that killed 13 US service members on Friday that happened on Saturday then on Sunday there was another drone attack by the United States this time hitting a car that they believed had car bombs inside and that also had secondary explosions where now there's some dispute with the United States government saying, we are not um, confirming any uh, civilian casualties. However... We're investigating it, but the UK Daily Mail and a bunch of other international publications are saying that three children and an entire, as much as an entire family were killed in that blast, taking out the ISIS-K terrorists in a drone attack uh, that Biden authorized over the weekend. So uh, we're keeping tabs on that as it comes along. But I was watching this video of audio of the mom from the United States Marine that was killed she called in to talk radio and she shared her feelings saying that biden was a feckless piece of crap which i probably tend to agree with but you have to hear this audio my son was one of the marines that died yesterday and listen to that
3: sorry i'm on the radio no 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 um Go, go my ahead. son uh, was one of the Marines that died yesterday, 20 years and six months old, getting ready to come home for freaking Jordan to be with his wife to watch the birth of his son, and that feckless, dementia-ridden piece of crap just sent my son to die. I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning to Marines at my door telling me my son was dead, so to have her on right before me and listen to that piece of crap, talk about diplomatic crap with freaking Taliban terrorists who just freaking blew up my son and no nothing to not say anything about, Oh my God, I'm so sorry for the families. So my son is gone and I just want all you Democrats who cheated in the election or who voted for him legitimately, you just killed my son with a dementia ridden piece of crap. Who doesn't even know he's in the white house. He still thinks he's a Senator. So
2: I'm going to try and calm down. I'm sorry. I mean, this mom was just so impassioned and of course, rightfully so who wouldn't be saying you killed my son. And I'm looking at this piece in the Washington times and you know, it describes her as being grief-stricken. this uh Colorado mom whose son was killed last week. Kathy McCallum. Her son was Lance Corporal Riley McCallum, one of the thirteen that were killed on Thursday. And it's just such a damn shame. And she called into our buddy Andrew Wilkow's show on Sirius XM radio, so big shout out to Andrew Wilkow. You know, and she says, My son was one of the Marines that died yesterday. 20 years and six months old, getting ready to come home from freaking Jordan to be with his wife to watch the birth of his son, and that feckless, dementia-ridden piece of crap just sent my son to die. Now I gotta tell you, A, I feel for anybody, whether it's the civilian casualties in Afghanistan that um, may or may not have been involved with ISIS-K, or a 20-year-old Marine But I can definitely tell you that I also have a 20-year-old. 20 years old and just about one month. And it's scary to think that this mom no longer has her son. Scary. Something I never want to experience. The distraught mom continued. This is in the Washington Times. My son is gone and you heard this. I just want all of you Democrats who cheated in the election or who voted for Biden legitimately... You just killed my son. More than 100 people were killed and 180, uh, excuse me, 180 reportedly injured in that blast. And we talked about that at length in the last episode, but we didn't talk about the retaliation from Biden, and we're going to get into that after this. But it's just so sad. It's sad that this is what happens. And these families, they're not buying the BS that Biden's selling them. Another family of a Marine killed in Afghanistan slams Biden, saying the meeting was scripted and it was a total disregard to that Marine's death. The family of one of those Marines who met with Biden because he traveled to Dover, Delaware, and this is on FoxNews.com, said on Sunday that it was a total disregard to the loss of their Marine. Biden traveled to Dover, Delaware on Sunday to attend the dignified transfer of the 13 service members killed in Kabul's suicide bombings. Jania McCollum, the pregnant wife that I just mentioned of Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, alongside the fallen Marines' father and sisters, were scheduled to meet with the president, but only Jania, and I hope I'm saying that right, maybe it's Gina, but it's spelled J-I-E-N-N-A-H, ended up speaking with Biden. Royce McCollum, one of the late corporal's sisters, told the Washington Post on Sunday that her, her sister, her father, and the rest of the family refused to meet with Biden because they held him responsible for their fallen Marines death. Jania's meeting with Biden did not go over well. Royce said the family felt the conversation with Jania was hollow and lacking meaning. And Biden appeared to show a total disregard for the loss of of the Marine and their family. According to Royce's account, and I hope I'm saying that right as well, R-O-I-C-E, Biden spoke about the service of his veteran son, Beau Biden, and his death from brain cancer, a topic Biden has also brought up while both addressing the nation and the deadly Kabul suicide bombing and speaking with the new Prime Minister of Israel. We heard about that on Friday. Royce said, in very plain English, you can't F up this bad, He didn't even say he was sorry in regards to Biden. This doesn't need to happen. Every life lost is on his hands. Paula Knauss of Clearwater, Florida, the mother of a 23-year-old Army Staff Sergeant, Ryan Nouse, said she was heartbroken over the loss of her son and eviscerated Biden's hasty withdrawal after 20 years of war. You can't have a hasty withdrawal after 20 years of war. It's just beyond me. It disgraces the name of all who fought in the past and who are now on the ground. Foreign ground, fighting right now. Her son, 82nd Airborne, still there. And of course her son is dead. She's talking about her son's battalion, the 82nd Airborne. They deserve to be protected, she continued. Of course the White House didn't comment on that. And that's the end of that. I got to tell you, this stuff is heavy. And I hate getting into this stuff. You hear the anguish in their voices when you hear them speak. And that's why it's like we all have mixed emotions now. Does two drone strikes constitute standing up for America and doing the right thing? They're not releasing any of the names. We don't know if these are actually the bad guys. Again, I know when we got Osama bin Laden, they said, hey, we got Osama bin Laden. When Trump got Soleimani, They said, hey, we got Soleimani, and so on and so forth. So this is kind of a challenge here because, to me, I don't know what the hell happened. All I see is a toasted golf cart, and I haven't seen footage of the other one except, you know, like a blown-up car. And I'm not saying that's not the case. I believe in the United States military, but I'm just saying, you know, How much can we trust what's coming out of Washington? Whether it's Biden, whether it's the feckless generals, or their spokespeople, I don't know. But according to the Wall Street Journal, the U.S. used a special hellfire missile in Afghanistan in their airstrike on the Islamic State, the ISIS people, ISIS-K. The Pentagon used a special hellfire missile that packs no explosives to strike them, On Saturday in this retaliation for the suicide bomb attack this is according to two US officials the airstrike carried out by a Reaper drone was flown from the Persian Gulf region and it killed two militants associated with the attack now what's interesting about this I'm trying to get to it right here the missile used by the US in this airstrike is called an R9X and it's inert instead of exploding the weapon ejects a halo of six large blades stowed inside the skin of the missile which deploy at the last minute to shred the target that they're striking, allowing military commanders to kind of pinpoint the target and reduce the possibility for civilian casualties, which we know right now is a a topic of dispute with people saying that there were three children that were killed and potentially as many as six members of a family. After a secondary blast, when they blew up the car, there was additional bombs that went off and then blew up this building. Now, this Hellfire missile, also known colloquially as a Flying Ginsu, like the uh, 1980s and 1970s Ginsu knives, hadn't been disclosed before. The weapon is also named the Ninja Bomb. So, this is what they used at that strike site in Narangar province. And um, we'll keep you up to speed on everything that comes out. I mean, there's so much information coming out about this specific uh, retaliatory strike from the United States, as well as a secondary one after there were located uh, the car bomb, which I mentioned already, and then rockets that were flung into the airport. And uh, out of five rockets, from what I understand from General Taylor, one of them got in, and the rest of them were taken out by their uh, surface-to-ground anti-rocket, anti-missile system. So, I mean, just so much coming out of here. I'm trying to give it to you as I'm getting it as quickly as I can because this stuff piled in over the weekend and there's still information coming out as of right now, Monday. So anyway, keep it locked right there because I want to talk about something that uh, I talked about last week and it's it's important to me because I said, look, Where are the generals that are uh, retiring, that are getting, you know, fired for speaking out? Well, finally, that's happening. And you may have heard that audio, that general made a video, and I hope he makes another one. And if he does, we'll bring it to you. But I'm going to let you hear what they had to say, and you're going to hear all about this uh, lieutenant colonel who gave the Pentagon a piece of his mind. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America.
0: We are professional-grade.
3: This is America.
2: All right, America, welcome back. Welcome back. Rich about this with an S. Uh, this is the Sunday, Monday edition of This is America. And it's nothing but a gangsta party. And the reason I played that one was because one lieutenant... um, Lieutenant Colonel, a commander in the United States Marine Corps, he got gangsta. He sure did. He kind of put everybody in their place and said, you know what? This isn't right. Headline CBS News, Marine commander relieved of duty. He got fired for making this video slamming senior leaders in the wake of the Kabul attack. An active duty Marine commander was fired from his duties on Friday for a video post he made criticizing senior leadership in the wake of the Kabul attack that killed 13 U.S. service members. Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller posted the video to Facebook on Thursday in which he asked senior civilian and military leadership to own up to mistakes that they made in the course of the withdrawal in Afghanistan. The Facebook post came after it had been confirmed that a number of Marines were among those killed in a suicide bomb attack earlier in the day. Scheller said one of the Marines killed was someone that was close to him saying, quote, people are upset because their senior leaders let them down and none of them are raising their hands and accepting responsibility and saying, we messed this up, he said in the video. And with that, I want you to hear a little bit from that video. Listen to this.
1: But the reason people are so upset on social media right now is not because the Marine on the battlefield let someone down. That service member has always rose to the occasion, done extraordinary things. People are upset because their senior leaders let them down And none of them are raising their hands and accepting accountability or saying, we messed this up. If an 05 battalion commander has uh, the simplest live fire incident, EO complaint, boom, fired. But we have a secretary of defense that testified to Congress in May that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have chairmen of Joint Chiefs, who the commandant is a member of that. We're supposed to advise on military policy. We have a Marine combatant commander. All of these people are supposed to advise, and I'm not saying we've got to be in, the, in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? Did anyone do that? And when you didn't think to do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up? I've got battalion commander friends right now that are posting similar things, and they're saying, you know, Wondering if it, all the lives were lost, and, and if it was in vain, all those all those people that we've lost over the last I don't know, 20 years. And he goes on to say that we're all part of a chain. While every link may not be tested, the strength of the chain is only as strong as each link, and you got to be, you know, good link, something like that. And what I'll say is, and from my position. Potentially, all those people did die in vain if we don't have senior leaders that own up and and raise their hand and say, we did not do this well in the end. Without that, we just keep repeating the same mistakes. This amalgamation of the economic slash corporate slash political slash higher military ranks are not holding up their end of the bargain. I want to say this very strongly. I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability.
2: Well, thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller or Scheller. I hope I'm saying that right. And I echo that. I want to say this very strongly. I have been fighting for 17 years and I'm willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. God bless you, sir, for the courage that you've got. Because I think that is what leadership is. That is how wars are won. That is integrity. That's called doing the right thing. Him saying, you know what? Forget the paycheck. Screw it. If I have to get a job in Home Depot, Lowe's, or anywhere else, I'm sure he's a talented guy that has uh, quite a bit of education if he's a lieutenant colonel. So I think he'll do fine. And even if he doesn't do fine, the question's not, do I take the risk because it's politically safe? The question is, do I take the risk because it's right or wrong? He knew it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to say. He did it. God bless him for doing it. And I think more need to follow in his footsteps. Even if it's just them speaking out and getting fired. You know, you don't have to be so symbolic and quit. I'm cool with you saying, hey, you guys suck, like that mom said to Biden. You feckless, dementia-ridden piece of crap. I'm cool with it. I'm totally cool with it because I think that is what is necessary and that is what is needed for this military to do right within itself. As you guys know, my alter ego, Mr. Call Screener, I don't talk a lot about my work on The Mark Levin Show. I mean, I talk about the Mark Levin Show, but not so much about the work that we do. But I talked to hundreds in the last few days, hundreds per day, veterans from World War II to Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Kuwait, Afghanistan, some that have been to Afghanistan more than once. And these guys calling, these are guys that, you know, have had to pull triggers, guys that have been in combat, every every last one of them, stuttering because they couldn't find words. Stammering because they were just so incredulous to what was happening. How do we leave all the equipment behind? How do we not get the civilians out? How do we take out all of the troops and the, the intel people and the air support? Shocked, absolutely shocked at how Biden has handled this and truly saddened that no one is standing up to the politician in charge, the politician in chief, excuse me, the commander in chief. Shocked that a former general, Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, would just sit there and play politics. Shocked that Millie from the Joint Chiefs, some of them weren't so shocked about Milley because they were saying, you know what, he had become increasingly politicized and some of them even described him as somebody that wasn't much of a general to begin with and always just wanted to be one of the politicians, but worked his way up to being one of those politicians as a general. Now, I know that during the administration of Barack Obama in 2008, straight till when he left in 2016, that he put in a lot of ideological people, people that weren't just there to be career military, but people who were there to advance an ideological cause, people who didn't believe in funding the military, but believed in defunding the military the same way they believe in defunding the police. Because they felt that we were fighting too many of these, what they call, forever wars. Too much intervention. Too much of a military budget that could go to social programs. Like free college and free this and free that. So people could stay home and still make money like the, um, what's the name of that program? Universal Basic Income. I got to tell you, this stuff drains the energy out of me. Watching this stuff is so disheartening. And this is why I do this stuff. And I hope it has some effect on somebody somewhere. Uh, My hope is that, you know, I look at the downloads and I see that, you know, tens of thousands of people listen to this stuff. So my hope is that it has a positive effect on somebody and that people will stand up for America and do what's right and make the sacrifices that are necessary. Standing up for what you believe in because that's what Lieutenant Colonel Scheller did. S-C-H-E-L-L-E-R. I don't know if it's Scheller or Scheller. But either way... He's a hero in my book. Anyway, keep it locked right there because I want to talk about some ideological stuff that I heard over the weekend. As you might guess, I was listening to NPR News. And in listening to NPR News, I always get material for the show because they're just so out of whack, those people. And they really just... It's like they live on a different planet. Like, I can understand what they talk about and where they're coming from, even if they're wrong. But I think they can't see... A different side or a different perspective. Anyway, keep it locked right there. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdes. This is America. This is America.
3: College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a thousand dollars savings plan deposit for sixth through twelfth graders. Sign up today at IowaStudentLoan.org/register. This is America.
2: All right, welcome back, America. You are rocking out with Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And uh, we are at Rich Valdez on all the social media. And we're talking about free speech. Free speech is the topic of the hour right here. And what's interesting about this topic is that I probably could have done an entire show on this topic because it's so in depth, it's so loaded the stuff that I heard and I could have probably pulled, I don't know, at least 10 cuts of audio from this program that I heard on NPR over the weekend. But all that being said, I'm just going to bring up a couple of notes that I took because I thought this is very, very um, concerning and very, very important. If you're on the side of liberty and you're part of uh, what I label the liberty movement, which, you know, to me, it's, it's a big tent, the Liberty Movement. It's not just conservatives. It's not just libertarians. Uh, but it's, it's everybody that believes in liberty. You could be even a, uh, a liberal Democrat, like an Alan Dershowitz type, right? I think he sides on the side of liberty. He's a civil libertarian, believes in that stuff, believes in free speech. And this stuff to me is just remarkably fascinating. So yeah, every now and again, I turn on NPR because, you know, I like to look at ratings and I look at the ratings for conservative talk and there's some hosts that blow it away and they're massive audiences. And then I look at what NPR does and the amount of numbers they pull are astronomical. And it's because there's nearly zero commercials in their programming. And yeah, your tax dollars, you, the taxpayer, foot the bill for some of it. Then they raise money from a bunch of left-leaning corporations, and voila, there we are. So what I find really interesting about it is how one-sided things could be. Now listen, I know in conservative talk radio, things can also be one-sided. I'm not naive. Well, maybe I am sometimes. But the bottom line here, to me, is that they really start at a premise that the great one Mark Levin oftentimes cites at how they hate... America's founding. They hate our founding documents. They hate the Constitution. So, looking at that, I listened to this program and it's an interview with a guy named Andrew Morantz, a show called NPR on the Media. I think he's from the New York Times. And they're basically saying that free speech is flawed and that free speech absolutists, like you and me, are the ones that are to blame. Citing a philosopher... uh, um, an academic named Rorty, and I believe that's R O R T Y. got to spell check that though. I wrote it down fast. Anyway, making constant references to Trump and Nazism throughout, as if that is the litmus test. So last week we talked about, okay, it's okay to have liberty and it's okay to have rights Unless there's a pandemic, right? What are we willing to get rid of in the name of the coronavirus? Well, this time we're talking about it's okay to have free speech up until you have a Nazi like Trump. And that's, in effect, what they were arguing, making the case for creating assumptions and challenging other assumptions, which, again, in and of itself isn't wrong. That's how you want to think. That's how you want to think. No problem. But when this guy from The New York Times says that, you know... We need to drop the views, a quote from him, drop the view of American exceptionalism so that we can adopt being more humble, that America is not so exceptional, right? So instead of making the case, like oftentimes um, myself and others uh, on conservative talk radio, that America is great and exceptional because of so many things, or when Trump comes and says, we're going to make it great again, he's making the case that... In the most gentlest of ways. He's like, he's not outright saying America was never great. He's not outright saying America's racist. But he is outright saying he thinks that this is flawed, this view of American exceptionalism, and that it doesn't give us an opportunity to look to be more uh, constructive, to say, well, where is it that we need improvement? And let me tell you, the way he presented it um, is definitely something that will entice a lot of young people who are saying, yeah, yeah, that sounds fair. Right? Because they they believe in that. And I think most fair-minded people do, but the younger you are, the more exposure you have to this Marxist stuff. And he cites um, different thinkers, like one attorney and um, professor, John Powell, who compares pre and post civil war to gravity, right? He says, actual gravity isn't really like when you drop something, it hits the floor. He said, that's just the result of gravity. But that if you talk to scientists, they'll explain that they don't really know what gravity is. And in not knowing what gravity is, that, you know, if we don't know what it is, how could we prescribe it to others? He then goes on to somebody that's a civil libertarian in this sense, John Stuart Mill. And says that John Stuart Mill in his essay on liberty says that free speech causes no harm. And he says, well, that is flawed because Powell, again, Powell is the same guy who is comparing a... Uh, speech to gravity, also said that there's two constitutions, a pre-Civil War constitution and a post-Civil War constitution, and that in a post-Civil War constitution where women and black people are now free to vote, that they do receive harm, albeit psychologically, not physically. So he brings in a third person, P.E. Moskowitz that argues that free speech is not equal and cites uh, Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. And then again, the Brandenburg case in 1959 that says that if free speech brings physical harm, then it's crossed the line, but otherwise that it hasn't. And then, you know, of course, they argued that sexual harassment is not free speech around the same time. Now, all, all of this, you know, doesn't necessarily make sense. But the way they string it together in an hour-long program on NPR, you would think, oh my gosh, how could I ever support free speech? That's how convincing they are because they make one thing after another. And then you look at who these people are. You know, you look at this um, one professor who is um, giving a description and she says, I I believe this is PE Moscow, it's saying that her first internship was at the United Nations Tribunal following uh, Yugoslavia. And I thought to myself, well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, great if you want to work in international affairs, and that's the first thing you're going to do uh, after law school in your first um, internship. But I think it's important to note that we are not the United Nations, that we are the United States, and that we don't operate by tribunal. And I think this is, in effect, the problem. And this is something Mark Levin brings up in both the uh, uh, Meritopia* and in Liberty and Tyranny. And as a matter of fact, in Rediscovering Americanism, all great books, that we are getting further and further away from the Constitution and what was originally intended. Now, my whole interest in the Constitution came from a book by David Barton called Original Intent. And he wrote it about the Supreme Court and the original intent and, you know, about being a textualist and an originalist. And I read that. And then not too long after that, I heard Levin on the radio and I said, man, this stuff is fascinating because I would make the argument that the constitution was written one way and that others have gone away from the original intent of the constitution. And isn't it about time we reevaluate things and bring it back to the basics? And I think that's an argument a lot of people could get behind if it's presented that way, but it's got to be presented that way. Or whichever way you want to do it, I mean I'm not telling you how to argue. I just think when I listen to the soft voices, these quirky voices and personalities that that come across the airwaves on NPR and dwarf the ratings of conservative talk radio, it to me I think, man, how is it that NPR can get that much many more listeners? And it's again, because it's it's there, it's everywhere, it's ubiquitous, it's free. And there's like zero commercials, So you can go long form with a long involved topic without having to break in 15 minutes or nine minutes or whatever it is. And I, I look at that and I think, you know, we, we have to do better. We have to do more. So yeah, A, probably take out NPR somehow, some way. Uh, kudos to O'Keefe when he got the NPR CEO to resign because of his bigoted comments uh, on hidden camera. But do what they do. And I'm not saying boycott and stuff like that, but I'm just saying, realize who they are, know who these, you know, when when you're listening to NPR and they say, this segment of the programming brought to you by, you know, they want to always come after any company that supports conservative radio. I don't think there's anything wrong with looking at those people and saying, is that really where I want to spend my money? Is that really where I want to do business? Is that where, you know, do I want my kids to go to these schools? And really being conscious about things. And on a quick sidebar, had a talk with my kid recently And again, I've never pushed my kids because I feel like when you push kids, they do the exact opposite of what you want them to do anyway. So I've presented them with a lot lot of options and told them I'll support you no matter what. And my uh, 20-year-old that I mentioned uh, in the last segment tells me that she wants to go to a school that will accept more conservative opinions, which I think as you and I both know, there aren't many of them. And she mentioned one that's down in Virginia. And I was thrilled to pieces to hear about it because, you know, not only does it... Um, have, you know, an acceptance or a willingness to engage in conservative political conversations, but also conservative um, biblical conversations as well. And I thought, you know, that's great because there's so few schools like that in the United States that would allow something like that to even happen in a classroom. So kudos to her for making that decision. I'm glad she's um, doing that. And I'm glad such schools exist. So it's up to us as parents to do what we can to support those institutions so that People actually have an opportunity to go somewhere and actually learn in a atmosphere of heterodoxy where you can actually have opposing viewpoints, not just one viewpoint. But anyway, back to this NPR stuff. And again, if you think it's boring, my bad. I thought it was fascinating. Maybe I'm just not doing it justice and maybe I should have pulled some audio. But I just didn't want to bore you with that because it was a lot of stuff and it was kind of heavy and I took a lot of notes. But a lot of this stuff is based on the premise that speech is violence. And if speech is violence, then man, we're in trouble because violence isn't allowed, right? Violence isn't protected, but speech is. So the minute speech becomes violence, speech is no longer protected. And this to me is is a big thing because if psychological harm is the same as physical harm, we're screwed. And they keep making the case that, you know, the the constitution was terrific, but should we revisit that? Should we look at that? Should we give it another look-see? And I say, the Constitution is the Constitution, and we've gone very far away from the Constitution, and perhaps we should give another look-see to see if we don't come back to the original intent. And I think that's where this argument lives and where it needs to continue to be fought, because as they try to redefine speech, as they try to redefine violence, soon they'll be able to redefine whatever they want and nullify the Constitution, because they will have redefined all the words and everything that is within it, so that it is meaningless, pretty much. Anyway, and, and they argue that acknowledging certain things is in and of itself racist. And that's why people don't acknowledge the flaws within the Constitution, because they're racist. Now, we've heard this argument that nauseum. And if they admit that these things are racist, then what do we what do, we do, Right. And one of the things that they pointed out in particular was uh, the death penalty. And I'm not going to get into the death penalty, but they argued that if you acknowledge that the death penalty is in and of itself racist, then the whole criminal justice system is racist. And I'm thinking, hit the brakes. What? How does that happen? So if your car has a flat tire, the assumption is that your whole car is broken? Since when is that a thing? If you break your arm, are you automatically presumed to be paralyzed, rendered useless and ineffective. I mean, I just don't believe the way they make these jumps from one to the next, but they do. And that's exactly how they do it. And to me, that's crazy. So I think you and me, we have a right to be heard. We need to be heard. And we first must ask ourselves, do we have a right to be heard? I think that we have a need to be heard, but I think the right is for us to speak Whether or not people want to listen is on them, right? They have a choice whether they want to hear or not hear what I'm saying. So to me, when I say, do we have a right to be heard? I don't think we have a right, but we do have a need and we have a responsibility to speak. Because to me, that's where it's at. Forget about being heard. Those who have ears, let them hear, right? That's what the Bible says. And that's how it's got to be. We have to stay focused on what we've got to do. It's not about hey listen but you got to listen to me or you gotta that's to me that's a losing battle I'm gonna stay focused on I'm gonna keep talking I'm gonna keep talking and whoever's listening let them listen I'll position myself where I can get the best listenership possible but I'm gonna keep going with my message we have to keep going with our message of liberty our message of Americanism otherwise we're focusing on the wrong things and we're gonna lose anyway More on that free speech stuff in the next one. I'm going to sign off for now. Hasta la proxima. Until the next time, America, if we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. And always remember, that's Hamilton. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. And that's Lord Acton, Answer Edmund Burke, and so many others. These quotes are attributed to so many people, but they're very wise. So, like Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. Hasta la proxima. Until the next time, America, I am Rich Valdez, and this is America. This
3: is America.
0: Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site